1: You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed.
2: This is the CBS News Weekend Roundup.
3: Coming up, former President Trump in court for his third
1: indictment. This was never supposed to happen in America. Plus,
3: a woman's abducted and locked up in a makeshift cinder block cell in her kidnapper's garage. The woman fought for her life, beating the doors and the walls of
4: this cell with bloodied hands.
3: And finally, Justice has been served. The death penalty for the man responsible for the deadliest attack on Jews in U.S. history. Hello, I'm Stacey Lynn in Washington. Allison Keys is off. It was a historic day in the nation's capital on Thursday when former President Trump faced a federal judge for a third indictment, this time for his alleged interference in the 2020 election. We begin with CBS's Natalie Brand.
5: At his arraignment, former President Donald Trump pleaded not guilty to charges he plotted to overturn the 2020 presidential election. Before flying out of the nation's capital to his New Jersey golf club, Trump spoke out against prosecutors.
1: This is a persecution of a political opponent. This was never supposed to happen in America.
5: The former president's appearance at this federal courthouse in Washington, D.C., came just two days after a grand jury indicted him on four felony counts. They include conspiracy to defraud the United States and obstruction of an official proceeding related to the January 6th Capitol attack. WHEN THE CASE GOES TO TRIAL, SOURCES SAY TRUMP'S LAWYERS PLAN TO ARGUE THAT THE FORMER PRESIDENT'S FALSE CLAIMS ABOUT THE ELECTION WERE NOT CRIMINAL AND THAT HIS EFFORTS WERE DRIVEN BY THE ADVICE OF OUTSIDE ATTORNEYS. SPECIAL COUNSEL JACK SMITH SAYS HE'S SEEKING A SPEEDY TRIAL, BUT TRUMP'S LEGAL TEAM HAS INDICATED THEY WILL SEEK DELAYS AS THE FORMER PRESIDENT NOW FACES CHARGES IN THREE SEPARATE CASES. The legal teams are expected back in court August 28th. While no
3: cameras were allowed in the courtroom on Thursday, our Scott McFarlane was there and gives us an inside peek.
6: Trump was forced to sit idle and wait because the proceeding was delayed for 20 minutes and you could really see him sizing up the room seeing who was in that audience of about a hundred people in the courtroom, an audience that included special counsel Jack Smith. And there was a bit of a reversal in the power structure. He had to stand when somebody else entered the room, the judge, and he remained standing to plead not guilty, but otherwise he was seated and kind of hunched over with his hands clasped in front of him in his lap. When he was asked his age, he responded, seven, seven, and then added 77. But more than anything else, you could tell that he was insulated from the experience of so many other criminal defendants. No booking photo, no walk into the courthouse near the photographers, no restrictions on his travel as he left, and he had this secret service escort into and out of a private underground garage. Among those I saw in the courtroom itself, several of the judges from this courthouse, underscoring the significance of this day. And also in the courthouse, three of the officers who responded to the rioters January 6th.
3: Now to a terrifying and disturbing story about a woman who was kidnapped and locked up in a makeshift cinder block cell. CBS's Jonathan Vigliotti reports. The woman fought for her life, beating the doors and the walls of this cell with bloodied
7: hands.
2: FBI officials describe the desperate actions a woman took to break out of this makeshift jail cell, where they say she was held captive and sexually assaulted by 29-year-old Nagasi Suberi. She broke free and waved down a passing motorist. According to law enforcement, on July 15th, Suberi solicited the woman to engage in prostitution. After their encounter, he claimed to be an undercover police officer and handcuffed and shackled her at gunpoint before driving more than 450 miles from Seattle to his home in Klamath Falls, Oregon. That's when authorities say Zuberi then put the victim in a soundproof cell he built in his garage. That same day, after sleeping briefly, she awoke in panic and started punching a door to get out.
8: This was a screen door. She punched it several times to break the welds ripped the screen down and she crawled through a small space to get out of that place.
2: Investigators say they found handwritten notes when searching his Oregon home. One was titled Operation Takeover and included a list which read, leave phone at home and make sure they don't have a bunch of people in their life. Another document apparently included a rough sketch of an underground structure, which had concrete blocks, foam insulation and waterproof concrete.
5: We believe there may be more victims.
2: Using cell phone data, Zuberi was later tracked down and arrested in Reno, Nevada, where he was with his wife and child. The FBI says they have linked Zuberi to additional violent sexual assaults in at least four states.
7: The victim's focus, actions, and her will to survive triggered a law enforcement response that may have actually saved many other women from a similar nightmare.
3: It was the deadliest anti-Semitic attack in U.S. history, and now the gunman has learned his fate. Here's correspondent Lana Zak.
7: A federal judge sentenced 50-year-old Robert Bowers to death Thursday, a day after a federal jury in Pittsburgh unanimously recommended the harshest penalty possible. Finally, justice has been served. And even though nothing will bring my dad back, I feel like a weight has been lifted and I can breathe a sigh of relief. The 2018 attack at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh killed 11 worshipers and injured several others while victims attended Shabbat services.
0: This moment is a step along the healing process.
7: Defense lawyers argued for life in prison, citing the gunman's troubled past and claims of mental illness. But prosecutors pointed out the truck driver shared white supremacist beliefs online before the massacre.
8: He killed half of the people in that building. He murdered them because they were Jewish.
7: The synagogue has been closed since the attack as congregants work to build a memorial, museum, and a center to combat hatred.
3: Well, as you may have noticed, gas prices have been rising in recent weeks. The national average for a gallon of regular is $3.83 right now. And our Chris Van Cleve tells us the extreme heat is partially to blame.
9: A month ago, the national average for a gallon of gas was about $3.53, but that was before prices started surging. How common is it for a 30 cent spike in a month? That seems like a lot.
7: It is, and usually there is then some sort of other circumstance. Like a
9: hurricane. Like
7: a hurricane or a
9: war. Ayiksa Diaz from AAA.
7: We're looking at several factors. Supply, demand, cost of oil, and then we have this wild card with extreme heat. In certain parts of the country, extreme temperatures, triple digits, will affect refineries because they don't want to work in such extreme heat.
9: Many refineries are designed to operate between 32 and 95 degrees, but that heat dome parked over much of the country in June and July pushed temperatures into the triple digits for weeks, forcing some refineries to cut their output. And up went gas prices. Now, A little bit of good news here. AAA says the pace of price increases is slowing, and there is hope that we might see a price dip ahead of Labor Day weekend. But there is one big question mark in all of that. Hurricane season.
3: Coming up. I absolutely love Pope Francis. The Pope is in Portugal for what's been dubbed the Catholic Woodstock, and he's their rock star. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe, it's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre qualified for a car in minutes.
0: Talk about starting the morning right.
3: Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah.
2: Welcome back to the CBS News Weekend Roundup.
3: I'm Stacey Lynn. Pope Francis joined hundreds of thousands of young people in Portugal for the World Youth Day Festival.
10: Arriving in Lisbon, Portugal for this international celebration of faith, Pope Francis quickly addressed the elephant in the room. A report issued earlier this year said nearly 5,000 minors had been sexually abused by Portuguese clergy since the 1950s. Speaking before bishops, the pontiff blasted them for the scandals that have marred the church and called for ongoing purification, demanding victims be accepted and listened to. It's a painful topic these young Catholics didn't come here to deal with. World Youth Day has been dubbed the Catholic Woodstock. Pope Francis is their rock star.
1: I absolutely love Pope Francis. Yes.
10: These kids are from Norwalk, California. Members of the St. John of God Parish each had to raise $3,500 to get here. Some have undocumented parents. All have hardships. George and his parents paid his way with tacos and tamales.
7: First thing in the morning, we would grab everything, go to the church and set up, and then sell when every time the, the mass would finish. The people would come out and we would just sell all the food.
10: Francis, perhaps the world's most outspoken champion of migrants, and like them, a Latino, knows their struggle better than anyone, says Andres.
1: He realizes that we're all one people. There is no, no, no real borders in Christ. There is just, there's people, there's love, there's support.
10: World Youth Day is a snapshot of the church's future says their parish priest, Father Raymond de Whoever
4: Whether they're from Latin countries, from Asian countries, from African countries, and so we're just blessed that this is the face of the church.
10: And a church that is also grappling with its legacy on youth and how to move forward. The Vatican says Pope Francis met behind closed doors with 13 survivors of clerical sex abuse at the Vatican's embassy here in Lisbon, Portugal. Later on, Pope Francis is expected to meet with up to 1 million Catholic youths from around the world at events lasting through Sunday. Chris Livesay, CBS News, Lisbon, Portugal.
3: Meanwhile, 43,000 young people from over 150 countries were at the world's largest scout gathering in South Korea. Reporter Alex Jensen is in Seoul.
8: As South Korea's heat wave response has been raised to an unprecedented level and temperatures here have exceeded 100 Fahrenheit, Officials say 108 attendees of the 12-day World Scout Jamboree were hospitalized during the opening ceremony Wednesday night, with hundreds more already being treated for heat-related symptoms.
3: We head to Ukraine now, where CBS's Remy Innocencio has the latest on more Russian drone attacks on some key cities.
11: Ukraine's capital, again the mark for Russian drones. Air Defense Forces said they destroyed nearly 15 of them in an overnight attack, stretching across three hours. And the military chief said the latest air alert that rang out was the 820th. That's an average of more than one every single day since February of last year. On the eastern front near Bakhmut, Kiev says it's retaken a bit more ground, but progress is still slow. Ukraine's chief of national security said the density of landmines laid by Russian forces across the front line was madness. Three, four, up to five in a 10 square foot block. And Russia hit Ukraine's main export route for its grain. The port of Ismail on the border with NATO member Romania. 40,000 tons of grain was destroyed Wednesday. Grain that could have fed more than 65 million people in a single day. A President Zelensky said difference Russia difference wants difference to use food insecurity as a weapon of war difference by difference kicking difference off a global difference catastrophe. Difference he says this will be on the agenda at peace talks in Saudi Arabia this weekend. About 40 countries will be represented. Russia
8: is not invited
3: in the uk the royal mail is testing out a service that gives a whole new meaning to airmail
8: the orkney islands offer rugged sweeping landscapes but this corner of the uk is remote and getting a letter there is slow until now the royal mail is testing its first ever delivery service by drone But well, this has got the potential to change the way we deliver that service and make it a little bit greener going forward The drone can deliver up to 13 pounds to the island's roughly 300 residents. But this part of the planet is known for its rain, wind, snow, sleet, and hail.
5: You know, we're on the first day of August and it's nice weather, Um, it might be a wee bit different. Give a few weeks.
8: Delivering the mail safely is a priority. On those days, a ferry service offers as backup. But the drone's operators want to beat the competition To make sure their delivery is first class.
11: It's all about, you know, what's the comparable service and how are they operating? Can we get close to that level or even beat that level while doing it with a very sustainable mode of transport as well?
8: The test service will run for three months. After which operators hope to have the Royal Mail stamp of approval to continue on a permanent basis. Ian Lee, CBS News, London.
3: The makers of two of the most popular weight loss drugs are now facing a major lawsuit over some not-so-pleasant side effects. They've been game changers in the world of weight loss. The drugs Ozempic and
7: Mounjaro, delivering big results, generally without dangerous side effects. But a lawsuit against manufacturers Novo Nordisk and Eli Lilly claims otherwise. Saying the drugs can cause stomach paralysis, something they claim happened to their client a 44-year-old Louisiana woman who took the drugs for type 2 diabetes and weight loss. Her
1: problems have been so severe that she's been to the emergency room multiple times, including last weekend. She's actually even uh, thrown up so violently that she's lost teeth.
7: Stomach paralysis can be a side effect of diabetes, which the drugs are commonly prescribed for. Rhea Hand, who is not involved in the lawsuit, has had similar issues with Ozempic. The stomach pain was just unbearable, and I just couldn't keep anything down. I would, ha- I would drink something, and within minutes, like five, ten minutes later, I would be throwing it right up. More than 40% of Americans are obese, and demand for the medications has soared. They aren't cheap. A one-month supply can cost more than $1,300. But now the University of Texas system says it will end insurance coverage for the FDA-approved weight-loss drugs Wagovi and Sexenda in September other employers are increasing the copay amount. Some consider the moves a setback, as obesity has only recently been treated as a disease by many health plans instead of a lifestyle choice.
3: That's CBS's Janet Shemlian. Thousands of birth control pills have now been recalled. Our Alexander Tin with details.
10: The FDA and drug maker Lupin Pharmaceuticals are urging patients taking Lupin's Tidami brand birth control pills to immediately contact their doctor after thousands of boxes were recalled. That's after tests suggested some batches might not have enough of a key ingredient. FDA records seen by CBS News reveal that a total of 4,179 boxes were recalled, amounting to some 350,000 tablets that could be less effective
12: at stopping pregnancy.
3: Up next, writers and actors are still on strike. So what's it like on the picket line?
12: We're walking in circles for, you know, hours. I think I came home one day at noon and I'd walked 26,000 steps and I was like, all right.
3: That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup.
2: This is the CBS News Weekend Roundup.
3: I'm Stacey Lynn. Writers have been on strike for three months now. Actors joined them on the picket lines three weeks ago. Brad Aldis is an actor and member of sag After He's been out on the picket line in New York since day one of the strike. Let's start with the big picture, Brad. Why is this happening and what's at stake here?
12: We went to the negotiating table in good faith and the AMPTP, which is the producers, the people who run all the big uh, conglomerates here, um, didn't really come in good faith to the table. And uh, that's the biggest thing. We're trying to move on some things, but from day one, they weren't engaging. And it just became really obvious really quickly that we were going to need to go out onto the picket
0: lines.
3: So the last time the writers and the actors were on strike, they didn't have to deal with some of the things we're dealing with right now. Streamers and artificial intelligence, two very big sticking points.
12: Yeah, so, I mean, residuals have changed, and that was the way that many actors made their income and made their lives. You'd get a job and then you wouldn't get another job sometimes for four months, six months, a year. So residuals were when a TV show repeated, obviously the companies are making money again because of advertisements. You would get paid. So that was a way to sort of bridge between your employments because actors are working sporadically, you know, we don't have steady jobs unless you're a regular on a series or something like that. And nowadays, unfortunately, uh streamers don't effectively pay residuals. I mean, the number is so low. I remember hearing recently Mandy Moore was out on the picket line who starred in This Is Us and she was getting This Is Us residuals, which is not that old of a show for like a dollar and 47 cents. And that was just Flabbergasting. I mean, I've gotten residuals for tiny amounts, but, you know, for foreign things, for things that had been on 15 years ago, this was for something that's really recent. And it's a new model. And unfortunately, the studios have refused to renegotiate. The studios have completely just refused to sort of negotiate in a way that says that the world has changed. AI, the same thing. There was one rumor out there or a story that they had said they wanted background actors to work for one day that they're paid for, where they scan their bodies, and then they use it for the rest of their lives whenever they want to with no recall or anything like that. And I mean, it's just ridiculousness. These are blue collar workers. Most actors who are out there are not celebrities. Yes, we've got celebrities on the line and people are seeing them a lot on the news because honestly, that's what people want to see. Um, so I'm walking you know, in front of Michael Rappaport and behind F. Murray Abraham with Bob Odenkirk on the other side of the line. And it's great for, for optics, it's great for visuals, but most of the people out there are people who, put together a living. They do some commercials. They do a couple of voiceovers. They maybe have a TV guest star and a part in a movie a year. And then they string together a living through that. And that's just becoming something you can't do anymore.
3: Yeah, I think a lot of people, when they think of actors, they're thinking of all the big names, the big A-list celebs that do make a boatload of money and live in these big mansions. But for the most part, that's not what we're talking about here.
12: No. And I mean, that's the thing. Like if you're somebody who's a huge celebrity, then you're getting gross profits on a film, for instance, which means you get money as soon as the money starts coming in but for performers if you're somebody who does a couple of days or a week on a picture your residuals are often based on the net profits and most of these studios have creative accounting which um puts the everything in a manner where there is no net profit like years ago i remember hearing about one of the harry potter movies they were saying lost 127 million dollars now we all know that's not true But they have ways of doing things that make it look like these things actually haven't made money. And then they never have to pay out anybody else because it's really all about their stockholders and Wall Street. And that's what we're striking about. We're trying to make it fair so that we we work, we get paid a living wage and we're appropriately compensated in the profits. I mean, you know, this is something which has been going for a long time. As soon as streaming came out, everything changed. And. We've been looking at it. I mean, you know, I did a couple episodes of Orange the New Black. I don't ever see residuals for that. It still plays on TV every day. Millions of people are watching that stuff. But uh, unfortunately, it's just it it needs to be renegotiated. It needs to be figured out in a way that's fair. And the studios, as of so far, have refused to do that.
3: So what are we looking at right now? We know that productions have shut down. Barbie Oppenheimer obviously came out at the right time and kind of energized the whole movie industry but that's all stopped now.
12: Yeah. It, it hasn't been something that's been noticeable yet because obviously there was a lot of things that people had in the can. So they were finishing shows, they were putting stuff out, but the rest of it really um things are going to stop and you know, television shows that you like are not going to be back in the fall. So there's going to be a lot more reality TV, which I know some people love, but <laughs> it'll be interesting to see, but content is going to start disappearing a little bit more. And um I think that will affect you know, the average everyday person who's like, man, I want to watch my show. I want to see this thing that I'm invested in because this is, we are a part of people's lives. I mean, it's, you know, people think of it, yes, it's entertainment, but at the same time, it's something that people connect over uh, in the same way that theaters like that. People talk about it around the, you know, well, in the old days, they used to talk about it around the water cooler. <laughs> <Right>. We just <laughs> days, really old. <laughs> these days, Maybe it's over FaceTime or Zoom, admittedly. Right. But it's it is something that's a it's a temple of our lives, and you know, and so there's going to be less of it, and I'm hoping that people start to notice. But ultimately, it's just going to be these uh, large, the AMPTP realizing that you know they're billions and billions of dollars of profits. What what we're asking for is not an, a ridiculous thing. It's basically asking them not to exploit us. It's asking them to pay a fair wage and to give us, you know, increases, which any other industry would go, oh, that's very reasonable. But these guys for years haven't had to and have, you know, begrudgingly only done this under duress when we have struck or something like that. So that's what we're hoping for.
3: So before we wrap up, Brad, I kind of want to get the vibe of the picket line. July obviously was the hottest month ever on record. So that only compounds things. What's it like out there?
12: It really is pretty energized. And it's interesting because, I mean, you know, somebody said to me, Right when it started, one of my friends said the AMPTP thinks they're going to break us. They've just given us a free social club slash gym because <laughs> <laughs> we're walking in circles for you know hours. I think I came home one day at noon and I'd walked twenty six thousand steps, and I was like, "All right, wow. I mean, my legs are going to be in great shape by the end of this." But yeah, there is a lot of good energy out there. It is very hot. But a lot of celebs have actually been coming out with food and things like that, too. Uh, Lynn manuel Miranda was out passing out donuts one day. I've seen, you know, lots of people bringing pizza and things like that. The picket lines are, yeah, they're they're loud, they're energetic. There might be a few too many tambourines for my taste. But other than that, they're great.
3: Actor Brad Aldis, a part of the sag After union and the picket line in New York. Thanks for joining us.
12: My pleasure, Stacey.
3: So speaking of strikes, auto workers are giving the Detroit three big automakers a list of demands they call audacious and ambitious as they prepare to sit down for their own contract talks.
0: Union President Sean Fain laying out demands for double-digit pay increases, cost of living adjustments, a 32-hour week, and job security. He says first half profits of $21 billion show car makers can't afford this. These aren't my demands, these are our demands. These come straight from the membership carmakers say they'll review the proposals and see where they can find common ground jeff gilbert cbs news detroit
4: coming up this week's kaleidoscope one in seven to one in eight americans don't even know their hiv status and there's a
3: rise in hiv
4: cases among black women that's next on the
3: cbs news weekend roundup
2: on the CBS News Weekend Roundup.
3: I'm Stacey Lynn and it's time for this week's Kaleidoscope. Today we're gonna to talk about the rise in HIV cases among black women. While new cases of HIV have declined, particularly among men who have sex with men, the news is not encouraging across all communities. Black women continue to be disproportionately impacted by HIV, accounting for nearly 60% of new infections in U.S. women. Dr. Toya Nawafar is a senior medical director for HIV prevention at Vive Healthcare. She's working to empower black women to take charge of their sexual health. Let's talk about the statistics first. Most people think of HIV being a disease for gay men only. We know that is clearly not the case.
4: One in five new infections are in women, and of those, the majority are in black women.
3: And I read that black women who become infected with HIV tend to have fewer sexual partners. They're more right. likely to use condoms or protection, and yet are more likely to become infected with HIV. Why is that?
4: What we've seen is that a lot of it matters with the prevalence of HIV in the community in which you're living, right? And in certain parts in the country, where the prevalence or the rates of people living with HIV are higher, the number of sexual partners does not even matter.
3: And there's also a lot of barriers. Obviously, you mentioned that there are many disparities that contribute to this. Talk about some of those.
4: Absolutely. So if we think about the whole care continuum, right, in terms of access, right, so access to testing, access to health care, we have issues with some, uh, for some women, issues around uh, stigma, and stigma is a big part of that issues around poverty, uh, unstable housing for some people, and then starting to think of even when they do have access, do they have access to places that are able to accommodate some of the needs that may be unique to women or more common to women, including need for uh, assistance with transportation or childcare. A lot of women end up being, you know, putting themselves kind of lower on the list in terms of their self-care. So some of those things, making sure that we have access to clinics and and places where people can get tested, but also that are accommodating of schedules that are flexible, provide childcare, and able to help women address some of the other things that are maybe of priority to them, prior to even getting to the discussion around uh, HIV prevention. When they do access care, and for those who actually, you know, have uh, clinicians and physicians and, and healthcare providers that they see, Uh, not all healthcare providers are comfortable or having that conversation around sexual health with women. And so a lot of times those conversations are not normalized, they're not routinized. And when they are, sometimes language that that are used are sometimes stigmatizing or traumatizing or further re-traumatizing. And sometimes the language and, and the way in which the messaging and the questions are asked actually Uh, move people further away from HIV prevention, which is what we're trying to get to.
3: Well, that's probably the big one there is how do you normalize that conversation? How do you get healthcare providers to properly engage their patients to be proactive? And
4: yeah, so, you know, that's where the twofold and really working with women in the community about the importance of why the reasons why they would benefit from HIV prevention, moving away from risk and fair based tactics and moving to reasons why this is important for you, reasons around intimacy, pleasure, and desire, what happens when you're aware of your HIV status and when you're protecting yourself, issues around being able to have a power and control over your circumstances and your sexual health, and issues around the ability of normalizing your sexual health and sexual wellness as part of routine healthcare. From the healthcare provider, what we're working on is initiatives that, again, talking about moving away from risk to reasons, having healthcare spaces that are safe, that are welcoming, that are affirming, that are sex positive, and that these conversations are routinized and saying that sexual health is a critical and vital part of, of our overall health. So as we go through our physical health and mental health, and talk about screening, thinking about HIV prevention as part of routine preventive care. And just like to do with vaccinations and offer women, their mammograms and pap smears and all the other uh, appropriate preventive measures, that we're talking about sexual health as part of that history taking. And in that regard, when you talk about sexual health and normalize it in a safe, non-judgmental, non-stigmatizing manner and make it routine, Tell your women I ask these questions of everyone I'm seeing. And this is also we can figure out how you can stay safe and be protected. Then the questions become routine and normalized. And we talk to HCPs and say, you know what, practice makes progress. Sometimes people worry about saying the wrong thing. They worry about offending people. What we find is as patients actually want us to talk to them about their sexual health. We leave it out of the exam room too often. And we need to incorporate that into a routine conversation. So we can optimize the wellness of women. We can get them uh, tested for HIV. We can offer them preventive uh, options to keep them HIV-uninfected. And if we do diagnose women as living with HIV, we can actually connect them to care and get them on HIV therapy as soon as possible, have them get their viral loads undetectable and live safe, comfortable and healthy lives.
3: So should anyone who is sexually active be tested regularly and how often should that be?
4: The answer to that is exactly yes. So the CDC had recommended back in 2006, that was like almost 15 years ago now, actually longer than that, uh, that anyone who's sexually active over the age of 13 should get an HIV test at least once. And that's a baseline, that's a floor. The, the, the lowest, right? So if you are sexually active, we talked about people getting um, HIV tested, depending on number of sexual partners or new partners, anytime they're new partners to get tested. For people on HIV prevention or, or PrEP, they get tested every two months or every three months. And again, we talk to women, especially when they're in, uh, entering into new relationships, exiting um, other relationships. And again, as often as as needed within the healthcare system. But the baseline to even get a one-time test is not done. And one in seven to one in eight Americans don't even know their HIV status.
3: That's amazing. I think it's all about empowering people to kind of take charge of their sexual health, right?
4: Absolutely. Absolutely. That sexual health is health and routinely having that conversation, and then knowing what the options are, they are diagnosed, be diagnosed early and linked to care. And we find out that one in five women are diagnosed late with an HIV diagnosis, which means that they have had access to health care many times and never been tested.
3: Such important information and such an important conversation to have. Dr. Toya Nuafar, the Senior Medical Director for HIV Prevention at Vive Healthcare. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. Coming up, Tom Brady is joining a new team, a soccer team.
10: Well, let's just say, I got a lot to learn.
3: That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. I'm Stacey Lynn. Happy 46th birthday to Tom Brady, the seven-time Super Bowl champ is celebrating on a safari vacation. Because, you know, he's retired now, at least from football. American football. He's now switching to
9: soccer.
1: I'm officially coming on board at Birmingham City Football Club.
9: Tom Brady's revealed on X he's purchased a stake in the overseas soccer team. Maybe you're asking,
10: what do you know about English football, Tom? I say, I got a lot
9: to learn. But also, he says, a lot to offer.
10: I do know a few things about winning, and I think they might translate pretty well.
9: Most of all, Brady assures he likes being the underdog. He joins several other celebrities who began begun investing in English football teams, among them, Ryan Reynolds, Deborah Rodriguez, CBS News.
3: There's a new challenge for a major league baseball pitcher who made history earlier this season. Our Steve Kathan reports.
0: In late June, New York Yankees right-hander Domingo Herman was on top of the world. Now, there's word from the team that Herman has voluntarily entered inpatient treatment for alcohol abuse. He's been placed on the restricted list. The pitcher served a 10 game suspension in May for using an illegal sticky substance. Earlier in his career, he was banned 81 games for an alleged domestic violence incident.
3: On to some stunning allegations now about a huge pop star. Lizzo is being sued after allegedly pressuring, weight-shaming, and demoralizing her former dancers. That's according to a new lawsuit filed by three women who say the singer cultivated a toxic work environment on tour and would repeatedly talk
7: down to them and make explicit comments about everything from sex to religion. They say she'd also accuse them of being drunk on stage if they didn't perform up to par. Lizzo, whose real name is Melissa Jefferson, hasn't commented on the suit yet. Monica Ricks, CBS News.
3: You feeling lazy and want Amazon to deliver you all your groceries, but you're not a Prime member?
6: Amazon is charging non-Prime members $13.95 for grocery deliveries under $50, $10.95 for orders between $50 and $100, and $7.95 for orders over $100. It will be a gradual rollout for non-Prime members, with the e-commerce firm starting in a dozen markets, including Boston, Dallas, and San Francisco. Groceries have become a growing part of Amazon's business Amassing $29.5 billion in sales in 2022.
3: That's business reporter Jason Brooks. Speaking of Amazon, the company has always said it will find a way to get packages to anyone, anywhere. And that means riding mules to get stuff to people who live at the bottom of the Grand Canyon.
11: The company
1: said its workers are riding the donkey horse hybrids to bring employees of a place called Phantom Ranch their mail and groceries, along with beer and toilet paper. The company created a video about the journey.
3: Everybody every week is ordering different things, either
7: outdoor gear or snacks or whatever they need from Amazon. And whenever we
3: show up, they're like, do you have our packages? We we got something from Amazon. (laughs) Did you bring it down?
11: They're like, yep, we got it. (laughs) Right here.
1: It takes four hours for the mules to get to the ranch and four to five hours to get back up. Christopher Cruz, CBS News.
3: Going out to eat is so expensive right now. But CBS's Michael George tells us about one restaurant in Brooklyn, New York that is actually dropping prices.
1: Morgan's Brooklyn Barbecue is shaving a little off the top.
9: St. Louis pork ribs. Uh, We lowered the price on We actually increased the size.
1: This Texas-style barbecue with a Brooklyn flair now costs just a little bit less. How much are we talking about in terms of lowering the
8: price? Uh, A couple of dollars, a dollar or two.
9: After seeing
1: food, goods, and labor prices skyrocket during the pandemic, Morgan's owner, Matthew Glazier, says his costs on some items have finally come down and he's passing along that savings to his customers.
9: In order to get more customers in, in order to get customers to come
6: back, you have to be some sort of value. Anytime I can save a dollar,
11: I love it.
1: The most recent government data shows grocery store prices were up 4.7% while restaurant bills were up 7.7 percent.
8: There's a lot more built into the restaurant pricing.
1: Overall, restaurants are faring well in spite of generally higher prices thanks to strong demand and low unemployment. But some consumers are watching their wallets. Recent data from revenue management solutions shows quick service traffic was down, with almost a third of consumers spending less on restaurants, and one in three of that group reducing their order size to save money. Morgan's customers say wherever you can get a deal. A buck is a buck.
7: That's one extra dollar, and it
4: leaves you with a very positive experience.
3: And you can use that extra buck to buy some bacon. Prices are sizzling right now. The cost of the porky goodness is on the rise. The Wall Street Journal says they've nearly tripled since the start of June to about two fifteen dollars a pound. That's their highest level since last August. Part of the problem, they say, California's new animal welfare law that requires pigs be given at least 24 square feet of pen space for their meat to be sold in the state. California accounts for about 15% of all pork consumption in the country. Well, this was Nacho Average Traffic Jam this week. It had the makings to be the biggest Taco Tuesday in history. A truck carrying a load
10: of nacho cheese tipped over on an Arkansas highway on Tuesday, spilling the golden gooey deliciousness all over the road.
8: Liquid cheese like it cascaded down?
10: Yeah! Police were called and the highway was shut down while the cheesy mess was cleaned up. They didn't say how long it was closed, but the roads did reopen later that day. Jen Clark, CBS News.
3: I was going to try to go through the entire weekend roundup without mentioning Barbie at all because I'm kind of on overload right now. But this is so bizarre. I'm a
7: girl
9: in the Barbie world, black and plastic. It's
3: fantastic. When you die, you can now be buried in a Barbie dream coffin. Funeral homes across the world are offering hot pink coffins for fans who hope to take their Barbie obsession to the grave. One marketing campaign says they want to give people the opportunity to make sure their loved ones can rest like Barbie forever. Another company is even capitalizing on the Barbie song with the slogan, Death in Plastic, It's Fantastic. Oh boy. And finally, which TV family is your very favorite? According to a new survey by the global streamer Plex, they may be creepy and kooky, mysterious and spooky, but the Adams family topped the list. Simpson. The Simpsons were a close second.
9: Here's the story. Followed
3: by the Brady family. And then the Bundys from Married with Children. Well, now that song's going to be in my mind all day long. That is going to do it for the Weekend Roundup. Thank you so much for listening. The show is always online on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. You can always drop us a line at Weekend Roundup at CBSNews.com. We'd love to know where and how you're listening. The Weekend Roundup is produced at the CBS News Washington Bureau. I'm Stacey Lynn, CBS News.